Hello and welcome to The Personhood Project. I'm your host, Aaron Tyler Hand. In this podcast, we explore poetry's ability to provide the tools necessary to process trauma, lead towards personal growth, and help reduce recidivism in the carceral system. If these topics are of interest to you, we ask that you follow us on Twitter and subscribe wherever you are currently listening. Today, I am joined by poet, essayist, and editor Taylor Baez. Baez is the author of two poetry chapbooks, 2021's Blood Warm, 2022's Shudder, as well as her forthcoming debut full-length poetry collection, I Done Click My Heels Three Times, which is due out in 2023 on Soft Skull Press. In addition to her own writing pursuits, she is also co-editing two forthcoming anthologies, the Southern Poetry Anthology Volume 10, Alabama, and Poemhood, Our Black Revival. Thank you so much for joining me today, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be able to sit down with you. And um, it's just so nice meeting someone or talking with someone from the Midwest. Last episode, <laughs> we had Jason on there. And it's just nice connecting with Midwestern poets or people from the Midwest. Yes, I love I love the Midwest. I mean, I'm also trying to move out of the Midwest, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I born and raised in Kansas City area, Missouri side. I lived there until I was in my early 20s, and I moved to Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and now I'm down in Texas for my MFA program. So I have left, and I do miss the Midwest, though, and there's something about having that home or just like something to call home in the Midwest that's just like, I don't know, just keeps me grounded in some kind of way. Absolutely. The Midwest is, is definitely a, a special own little little place. This was something I wanted to talk about earlier, but it just kind of naturally came up. But I'm hoping you can kind of talk about the concept of home just for you as like a writer, whether it be kind of a physical place, like an actual home or the entire city of Chicago, which I knew you still kind of call your home, um, even though you don't really live there anymore. So I'm just hoping you can kind of speak on that. Yeah. um, Home is something that I think I've thought about quite a lot in my writing and uh, my forthcoming debut full length, uh, I didn't click my heels three times. It's very much about home and what happens when we leave a physical home and and how for the black woman in America, we have to find these alternative ways to make home or these alternative definitions or meanings of home. And um, I, I think there are definitely some physical places for me that feel like home. Um, I think Chicago is one of them. I think also as I find myself you know, moving around the country and, and experiencing living in different places um, and experiencing uh, not belonging in a lot of ways as well. Um, I find myself having to to rework what belonging looks like and feels like mm-hmm. for me. Um, and I think thinking about that um, really came to the forefront for me when I moved to Birmingham, Alabama, which was the first time that I had really moved away from home. And I lived there for six years during my bachelor's and my master's program. And um, I was also living there during the you know Trump election, for example. Mm, during a, yeah, that's a, rough. Yeah, a really <laughs> tense kind of political and, and social climate. Um, and so I, I think also how do you reconcile living in a place, physically living in a place and a place physically being home um, while also being faced with these constant reminders of that very place and and how that place might not 
welcome you or might not want you there. And um, so a lot of that comes out in Blood Warm as well. But I think it also, you know, I didn't click my heels three times as a, a longer sort of more in-depth, I think, exploration of home and, and kind of what it means. I know that I don't click my heels three times isn't due out until, you know, a little less than a year from now. But do you think you give us a little preview of what it's about, just kind of some themes and things like that that we could expect in it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the title, uh, I didn't click my heels three times, is inspired by uh, The Wiz, the movie, which is kind of like a, a Black cultural, I think, touchstone, <laughs> in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it, it follows the the trajectory of being whisked away from home and then having to kind of figure out a purpose or having to, to figure out that home is... It's kind of always with you, um, mm. that sort of thing. And so it it is inspired by the movie's trajectory. It's inspired by some of the the musical soundtrack of the movie and, and kind of allows some of those songs to lead the reader through the book um, in its section breaks. And and so that's kind of what the book is taking inspiration from, the, the trajectory and movement of that movie. Oh, that's really cool. Obviously, I have kind of a connection with the the other end of the Wiz, just being the Wizard of Oz, growing up in Kansas City. Granted, I'm on I'm on the Missouri side, but even just being from Kansas City, like you hear so much of people like <laughs> talking about Dorothy in Kansas and mm-hmm. blah blah. I hear that you know kind of everywhere I go. But it's so cool that you're kind of connecting that movie and kind of doing a modern retelling set in Chicago, even which is really cool. Yeah, which you know I, I guess in my my version was kind of the opposite, right? The original was from Kansas City to this like magical, whimsical land. And I would argue that Chicago is probably the more magical, whimsical place. Uh, and Birmingham might be kind of the, the Kansas City there. So I think that's also yeah. a really interesting reversal that, that maybe happened in my own real life. And that also kind of comes out in the book as well. I mean, I totally agree that Chicago is more whimsical. Someone like growing up in Kansas City, like I probably visited Chicago the hundred times, like, you know, just like it was like the city. It was the place to go to like experiencing something new for mm-hmm. someone kind of growing up in a Kansas City is like a decent sized city, but it's not it's not Chicago. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And Birmingham's a great city. But yeah, Chicago is huge. Yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of go back to something you said a minute ago. Um you mentioned kind of one of the themes of the book is home is kind of always with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping you can kind of speak on that a little bit, just the idea of someone who might not feel home with them. And I think of the people in our program who are, you know, kind of away from their homes and forced in these situations. So any kind of advice or anything you can give to people who might feel away from home and needing to find a sense of home? Mm. Yeah, I, I think a big part of of home um, in in any sort of iteration of home is family. And I think one of the things that's really important for me as I have been away from Chicago is found family um, Mm -hmm. and chosen family and and finding and creating my own sort of communities of people. And Mm -hmm. a part of that has been, you know, people in my programs, et cetera, whatever the case. But a big part of that has been cultivating a kind of online community as well um, that I can kind of take wherever I go. Um, so I, I think the people that I have surrounded myself with have been really integral to my own success and to um, forming a sense of, of home, I think, um, in my writing. 
I I think home is definitely in my poetry. Home mm-hmm. is definitely in um, working through what I'm going through in my writing, whether it is a poem that I'm writing with publication in mind or whether it's just a poem that I write for myself. Um, I think the page is is always home for me as well. And I encourage people who write or who want to write um, to find or to take refuge in their writing. I think it's a, a really, I think it's a really healing practice for a lot of us mm-hmm. um, to find something or to have something to hold on to in, in the things that we write. Yeah. I mean, that's such a true comment. I mean, that's kind of what we wanted to bring with this program is like, where the the facility we work at doesn't have many programs going on. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that we're in there, just something is good. But offering this idea of rioting and seeing people, like, understand that, like, hey, what I'm doing is also kind of this therapeutic thing that offers me some sort of outlet. And mm-hmm. as we get into later, the poems that we talked about that were inspired by yours, I mean, I'm sure we'll kind of see some of that therapeutic release through that work. Yeah, One other thing I want to talk about kind of going into the world of writing is I'm hoping you would talk about your growth as a writer from someone who has two chapbooks to a full length and just kind of like what differences you saw when things became longer or like your collection became full length versus smaller chapbook size. Mm, I think one of the, the main things I can attribute my growth to is, um, finding and giving myself permission in different ways. Mm-hmm. I think what happens for for me, and I think this happens to a lot of people, we we first come into writing poetry or writing, you know, whatever we write. Um, and we have we of course have our influences. We have the things and the people that we've read. Um, but I also would would guess that due to our curriculum or our education, we also have an idea about what something is supposed to look like or mm-hmm. what's the what's the right or wrong way to do something. Um, and and so I think when we come into the practice, we are our like range, <laughs> our circle of, of <laughs> what we think we're supposed to do is quite small um, compared to how it sort of expands later on in our careers. And as I discovered more writers who look like me and who are writing about mm-hmm. the things that I cared about. And I discovered the the range in the just the variety um, in the ways that they were doing so. Like I'm I was, you know, first kind of introduced to Erica Dawson and Patricia Smith, who are, you know, very formal in their work. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, am very formal and I love form. Um, and then sort of later on in my career, I'm coming across people like Harriet Mullen and Alexis Pauline Gums, who are, you know, very much um, more prosy sometimes, um, leaning into wordplay a lot, uh, which in turn, I think, opens up my own practice as a writer mm-hmm. when I when I'm exposed to different possibilities in that way. And Mm -hmm. so I think over time, I'm just giving myself more and more permission to try things, more and more permission to play around, to experiment. And new and wonderful and magical things just keep happening, which I think is one of the best parts of of writing. One of the best parts of the career is all the ways that we keep giving ourselves permission to, to do more and to discover more. Yeah, I mean, that's that's such a great way of putting it. Like, the more you kind of expand your own world, like, outside world, outside of your own writing, 
the the more you kind of see your own work expand and like it's kind of take these different avenues and routes, which is really cool. And I think that even starts on, like you said, like the very first reading of poetry and we have this like kind of limited idea of what poetry is and we kind of see that in our classrooms where people who you know have been to a few classes they'll come in and we get to the writing portion they'll be like oh you know poetry doesn't have to rhyme like they're just like (laughs) excited to know something that someone else might not have to know Mm -hmm. and then you know some of the newer people in there like oh really like it doesn't have to rhyme just like you know that like that little knowledge just expands things out just a little bit for the writers yes Kind of talking about, um, you mentioned reading different poems and reading different poets. I'm yeah. kind of hoping you could talk about the importance of reading poetry kind of in general as a poet. And obviously yeah. we talked about how it expands your knowledge of like what poems can be, but like just helping, you know, push people towards reading more poetry in general. I'm hoping you can talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, reading more poetry just makes me a better reader in general um mm-hmm. as an editor um, i am associate features editor for the rumpus where i read essays i read nonfiction, um and i'm also an uh, assistant features editor sorry and then an associate editor um for the cincinnati review currently where i read nonfiction poetry um as well mostly poetry and um as i've edited throughout the years and i've read more and more and more poetry I think I've also just been able to develop a greater appreciation for the different ways that people do things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all have our particular biases and our tastes and kind of what we like when it comes to reading things. Um, but I, I think as I've read more and more, I can I can look at things more objectively, I think, which I think is, is really good to do. Um, when it comes to being an editor, but I think also just as a reader who's thinking about my own projects, who's thinking about, you know, the best way to approach my own things or thinking about all of the possibilities, um, I think it's good to have a, a very broad appreciation for for different, you know, styles, different voices, different uh, storytelling. Uh, and I, I think also when we look at the publishing world, and we look at its structure and we look at kind of who's in charge and we think about their own particular tastes and how Mm -hmm. those types of biases kind of keep certain people out um, and kind of keep the gates locked for people. (laughs) Um, It becomes really important, I think, um, as an editor and as someone who is kind of in positions of control in, in my organizations, that I am broadening always broadening my ability to appreciate different voices and different styles and that i'm you know not locking people out of our gates because of my own sort of personal preferences as well yeah totally i mean i'm I'm sure that makes a lot of sense for someone who like as i mentioned in the introduction is editing two collections right now Mm -hmm. so you you're editing the southern poetry anthology volume 10 alabama and poem hood our black revival Mm -hmm. Could you just speak on a little bit of the, about those collections? Just kind of give us some info on them. Yeah, yeah. So Palm Hood, um, our Black Revival, um, which is with uh, HarperCollins, which is really exciting, is a YA anthology um, inspired by sort of Black folklore. We were thinking about um, 
mythology and, and how we're taught, you know, mythology, all this mythology in school. But, you know, there's there's never any like black myth, black folklore that's really taught kind of as a part of part of our education. Um, and so we wanted to um, make this anthology because we thought it was really important sort of in the educational sense, but also just to have this kind of space um, in this project where, you know, black youth and adults, of course, could have this collection and this this poetry that that serves as that kind of cultural and historical um, piece for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was kind of a, our mission and what we were thinking about with that, which has been really, really exciting. Um, and then the Southern Poets Anthology, the Alabama edition, uh, someone who lived in Alabama for six years, it was really exciting to, to be brought on board for this project. And we're kind of in the process of soliciting right now, which is really exciting, um, which kind of gives me the power to bring people in and to, to diversify the anthology in a way that, that is really exciting to me um Mm. and so i'm i'm just really grateful to to have you know creative control for these projects and to be able to to give opportunities to people who i want to i want to see um have a a larger platform to share their stories and their voices Um, so it's it's really been valuable for me i mean for the experience but also just the ability to kind of hand the mic off to someone who I I think deserves to have it. Yeah. I mean, that's such like a cool position to be in being able to be like, Hey, I've seen historically Mm -hmm. these groups of people have been left out of what is poetry or what people think is poetry. And here I have this platform that I can actually provide them some space and be like, Hey, here are these amazing voices that you all have been missing out on just because you're choosing not to listen to them. Yes. That's so cool. Kind of turning it a little bit, I want to talk about your own writing. And in our preliminary interview, you stated that your lived experience as a black woman is always finding its way into your work mm-hmm. and that writing about racism, violence, and identity means you're always writing a counter narrative to the country's history, which is kind of what you're doing as editor as well as providing this counter narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak on the power of poetry and how poetry, as opposed to say like essays or fiction, is the best tool to kind of reflect on these topics? Mm. I think I think it's important I th- to consider like the differences between the genre. Um, mm-hmm. You got to think about an essay. I think about something that is. That is a good topic to explore things, but I think it's also a genre that is committed to truth in a certain way. Mm. Um, and I think poetry, all you know, even though it is born, I think, from real lived experience quite often, and you know, sometimes the speaker of the poem is also the <laughs> right, the I, right? There's yeah, all those questions yeah. of who's who. <laughs> um, but I think the freedom, um, to step outside of that lived truth and to move mm-hmm. into fiction, to move into myth, to move into fantasy. Um, poetry, I think, has kind of like the the biggest reach when it comes to how far outside of reality it can mm-hmm. go. And I think fiction mm-hmm. is supposed to be so rooted in the the fictional um and and poetry is kind of in between and it has arms that can reach into both directions as far as it wants to go Mm -hmm. um and i i think that's one of the most magical things about it is the the freedom in which you can move around in it um and in all of the ways that you can 
blend and bend the genre as well. Right? We have like docu-poetics, which are these really wonderful projects. Uh, I was just reading uh, Yellow Rain the other day, this really wonderful, you know, docu-poetry collection that incorporates all of these documents and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And we, mm-hmm. you know, we have the, we have the power and the freedom to, to do things like that, to include history in those ways and to, and to, overlay our own creative interpretations, our own creative practices. Um, and, and so I think poetry is the genre in which we have the most creative freedom, in my opinion. I think, mm-hmm. I just think we, we can do the most. Um, and I think it tends to be the most successful in poetry. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. People might disagree no. with me. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, we're not going to have someone else to debate you or anything. I'm just curious about your opinion. So that, yeah, I mean, that's super interesting. And I totally agree that there is something about poetry that sits in this middle world where, you know, we've had this conversation on this podcast many times about the speaker not being the poet and how Mm. there is that separation. But there is oftentimes not that separation. But, you know, we're afforded to kind of pull both ways, whether it's uh, fictional or nonfictional and just... I mean, I totally agree with you, and I, yeah, I think that the ability to experiment and kind of play with form and a play with line breaks just adds these whole other elements of, like, a deeper meaning that you just couldn't get by having the full sentences sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just sometimes, like, I don't have any specific examples off the top of my head, but sometimes, like, a simple line break that is just, like, what the line above says compared to what you get in the next line mm-hmm. is just like completely says two different things that speak on a topic so heavily that you couldn't get that just by writing, you know, a whole paragraph on it in fiction or nonfiction. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Line breaks. Those, oh, those <laughs> wonderful little magical things. <laughs> They're one of my favorite things to play with. <laughs> <laughs> Another question I had kind of relates to, you know, some of the people in our program and, I know that oftentimes they might feel afraid or maybe a little uncomfortable talking about the ways they are oppressed, whether it be from, Mm. you know, various things from their own personal life or, you know, their situation being in a carceral system. So Mm -hmm. I just wondered if you could offer any advice for someone who may be a little scared or afraid or uncomfortable writing about their lived experience, but they, you know, they want to talk about it. I think it's important to remember how you felt when you discovered or came across something that spoke to your own experience. Mm-hmm. I, you know, throughout my education, all through you know, middle school and high school, um, and, and really through a lot of my undergrad, um, you know, we're taught the the typical Black authors we might get like a little chapter during black history month where we're taught you know these black poets that are no longer with us um so it's always a very particular um lesson plan always a very particular exposure to black poetry for me um and it's always these people so far removed and who are writing poetry that um that of course is important but it's very different i think in a lot of ways from what people are writing today and um much later in my writing an academic career is when Erica Dawson came to our campus as a visiting writer. Um, and she did a reading and then we got to hang out with her afterwards. And I remember being like, Oh my God, here is a woman, a black woman 
was writing about being black, who's writing about racism, who is like living, doing the thing, being a poet, just fully in this career that I never imagined was possible for myself. Um, and that was life altering for me. Like mm. I, I can never, <laughs> I can not <laughs> under, you know, state how life changing that was for me. And I don't, you know, I, I'm sure Erica might know this by now. Cause I feel like I've talked about this a lot, but, <laughs> but you know, I, I consider that a huge reason as to why I'm, I am where I am today and why I pursued poetry um, and why I pursued this career and when I think about that impact of this woman writing about her experiences and putting it out into the world and traveling to different places and sharing that with people and how that touched just me alone, I can imagine all of the other Black women and Black girls who she's touched as well. And I can only hope to do something like that in my lifetime. And that mm -hmm. gives me that gives me the confidence that drives me that motivates me to write about my experiences. Cause I, I, I have no doubt that there is a black woman or a little black girl or a little black teenager um, that needs it. And mm -hmm. it might change her life when she comes across it. Yeah. That's so great. And just thinking about that moment of like, Hey, I know this is kind of my experience or, you know, some version of my experience, but chances are there is someone, at least one person in this world who might be in this similar place as me and them hearing what I went through and how I dealt with things and what I'm feeling might make them feel validated. Like, hey, you, it's okay to have those feelings. Like mm -hmm. I've been there too, just things like that. Yeah, that's such a great way of thinking about it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The, the, root, of, the root of what we do is connection, right? It's not, it's mm -hmm. not the production, it's the mm -hmm. connection. Totally agree. I mean, that's kind of what I hope out of this program that I'm working with is like, how can I help connect people to a larger poetry world who might not know anything about it? And it's, it's you know, it's difficult with people in a carceral system and, you know, things like that. But a small thing of let's at least connect your poems to this poet mm -hmm. and let's ha and then have a conversation about it. And then it's just like, then just creating this kind of cycle, hopefully that they can connect it with one person and connect to the next, and then it just keeps going out. So yeah, that feels like a great place to kind of transition into the second half of our program here, where uh, for those of you who maybe not have listened to an episode before, the Personhood Project is more than just me sitting down one-on-one -on -one with the poet. It is, we took Taylor's poems along with a bio about Taylor and her writing process into the Hayes County Correctional Facility. Uh, this month we went into the women's unit, so we were in the women's facility, and we taught about Taylor's work, and then we had them write poems inspired by Taylor's work. So if you want to read your poem, Resting Bitch Face, and then we can read the poems inspired by it. Yeah. So this is Resting Bitch Face, um, and it has an epigraph from the book Spill by Alexis Pauline Gums that reads, How did you get here? What trumped up troop of slave ship sloop put you here on my doorstep in your nastiness? Something about the set of my face, says slave, cracks sharp in its stank and slits you uncomfortable. 
And what do you make of me again? In that gas station parking lot, in the grocery aisle in its fluorescence, when you tell me to smile for you. You too pretty to be frowning makes a fugitive of me, shutters me closed for your business. You even smooth talk yourself into a lie. Say smile and mean relax, mean open, mean peel back, mean lights, camera, action, put on a show for me. Last time I smiled for a man, my teeth sparked white in the dark of his bedroom, police lights and a rearview mirror. What could I afford with that currency besides his violence? Smiling has never bought me tenderness, never tendered me a love that let my face be bitch, and ain't that what you gonna call me anyways? Whether I thaw out for you or not, don't this always end the same? The bright you coax from my mouth snuffed out as soon as I show it to you. Thank you so much. So great hearing you read that poem. Just had like a whole nother element to the feel and the tone of it. Thank you. Thank you. So kind of based off Taylor's poem, Resting Bitch Face, we also create a writing prompt around that we take into the classrooms. And the writing prompt for this poem is Taylor Baez's poem, Resting Bitch Face, examines the ways strangers interact with her on a day-to-day basis. As a black woman in America, she still feels the weight of this country's history in the eyes of the people who look at her. Outside of that, as a woman, she too often gets men asking her to smile when really she knows their intentions aren't as simple as their words. Write a poem about how people see you. When strangers see you in the street, how do you feel that they see you? What features do they notice? What words do they say? Most importantly, how does it make you feel when they see you that way? What real you are they missing? Mm. If you could read the first poem here, inspired by yours, starting with the lines, my hair, my body, that would be great. Yeah, so this is um, the untitled number one. My hair, my body, my smile. As women, we're supposed to meet the requirements of society's interpretations of beautiful. Society doesn't know my heart. Society doesn't know my innocence. The innocence that was taken so long ago. The innocence that's taken now. Just a reminder for those listening, we do have these on our website, roughdraft.tx, so you can see the writing prompts and the poems inspired by Taylor's work. But as we talk about them here, this is just a one stanza poem with two, six, eight, 11 lines. And one of the most striking parts to me is in the middle we get these lines that end with society. So we have society hits mm-hmm. hard at the end of the line. Then there's a line break. Society, line break, doesn't know my heart. Mm-hmm. Society, line break, doesn't know my innocence. Just something about hitting those societies at the end of the line versus taking them to the next line. Mm-hmm. That enjambment there is just like, whew, it really hits. Yeah, that, that stacking that we get sort of at the end of the lines. Um, and I, I love the collapse at the end of the distance between this is the innocence taken long ago and the innocence that's taken now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about like the moment that someone kind of asks you to do something in public or that someone asks you to kind of smile in public um, and how it is, how it is a kind of taking or, or it is a kind mm-hmm. of entitlement to something that they feel belongs to them. Um, 
Yeah, and just and thinking about like the work of the innocence taken long ago and taken now and how we're supposed to kind of infer that it has just been a constant thing in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love that move at the end of the poem. Yeah, you used the word stacking earlier. I think that's such like a good way of kind of like explaining what the poem is doing, but also interpreting like the feeling within the poem, like the stacking of like, this is happening again and again and again. And we kind of see that with the repetition, even on the very first line, which is my hair, my body, my smile. Mm -hmm. And then we see society kind of stacked on top of each other and doesn't know my stacked up on top of each other. And then we get innocence three times at the end. And it's just like Mm -hmm. these feelings kind of bubbling up that just like really interprets what the poem is feeling and trying to get across to the reader so well and even at opening like breaking the self down to the to the very body parts the the very mm-hmm. objects right that that we're kind of seen as sometimes i think is, is also a, a really excellent opening move yeah definitely i love the opening it's just kind of like it paints such a clear picture to walk into the poem with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you want to read the second poem here that starts with the line, As I Walk By? Yes. This is untitled number two. As I walk by, I see a tall woman. Her smile looks dull, not knowing what it is she is thinking of. Arms to her side, swinging and swaying side by side. Her eyes as bright as a star that shimmers in the sky. Her hair is shiny and swipes by her eyes, the way she takes with pride each stride. As I walk by, I see a woman who I don't understand. Is she truly mad or just sad? Or maybe she's just glad. Reading that, it it feels very nice in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Just listening to it now, like it just flows from these S sounds Mm -hmm. and E sounds, like... And it it's done in a way that it just felt so natural. Like it didn't sound like, you know, like a poem that was trying to hit rhymes really hard. It just felt like one that was just like, this is naturally kind of flowing out of my mouth in this way. And it's just so like musical. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, someone very sort of like in tune with, with music um, mm-hmm. here. But I also am thinking about like the, the actual movement that we're watching in the poem, like the woman swinging swaying her hair is swiping like I, I all these s sounds are also i feel like in a way mimicking all of these movements in the poem in this really wonderful way um as well which i i think is is so fun yeah this poem as compared to the other one kind of takes the other perspective like the first poem was like you know the internal this is how people see me this one's kind of like stepping back and like you know we're an outsider looking at this woman here and Something about the S sounds in this poem and the soft E sounds are mm-hmm. just like, it makes the poem softer in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it makes it, because um, you know, like oftentimes these are like horrible situations where men coming up to women and being like, hey, smile for me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a good situation, but something about just like the the S sounds and the swaying and the movement of it just makes it, you know, kinds of pulls us out of that terrifying situation and kind of rewrites it a little bit, which is cool. 
Yeah. And and the poem kind of intentionally stays in a mode of observation, in a mode of mm-hmm. seeing. Like I, I walk by and see, which just gets repeated. I walk by and I see a tall woman. And then later we get, as I walk by, I see a woman. Um, mm-hmm. It never, it never kind of takes a step out of seeing, which I think mm-hmm. is, is a really, I think, soft and gentle alternative to the man that sees and then moves into demanding something. Um, this speaker is kind of left to 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 just kind of sit with their with the unresolved nature of the woman's emotions. I don't know what she's feeling, but that's it, and that's that's kind of the the, the where the interaction ends. Like I don't know, and that's okay, right? I don't have to sort yeah. of demand to know, which I think is is really a really nice alternative. <laughs> totally, you know, like we, it's kind of like you mentioned kind of rewriting history or, you know, like rewriting what people see. And I think that this poem does it too in like a small way. It's mm-hmm. like, yes, this person might be wondering things about me, but they're keeping it to themselves and that's okay. Like it's okay to see a stranger and wonder things and, you know, just move on with your life. But the act of saying, the act of doing is when it becomes an issue. And the softness of it maybe comes also from, as you say, like the seeing, this is just a seeing poem. It's not mm-hmm. one that where there is the interaction. Yeah. Rewriting the narrative, but also rewriting this, the social script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to just mention, or just for people listening who maybe don't have the poems pulled up. I really love the last line. Well, kind of leading up to it, we get, as I walk by, I see a woman who I don't understand, line break. Is she truly mad or just sad? Or maybe she's just, line break, glad. Mm-hmm. And just like something about having this word glad in its own line at the very end of the poem, just like you mentioned, it kind of like encapsulates all of these emotions. Like this counter story is like, here's what happens where I, this person can stay glad and it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter. Like it's just... Things are just are how they are. And just something simplistic about having that word, one word on the final line just does such a great job there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Allowing her to stay glad as the poem ends. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. We have one more poem here inspired by Resting Bitch Face. Would you read that for us, please? Yes. This is Untitled Number Three. I don't want to pop out. I feel closed in, keep smiling, respond to hello, and walk away. If only they knew, my heart is broken. I'm lost, sad, and alone. Away from everyone, I feel safe, don't have to explain, end the day, and try again tomorrow. I love how this flips kind of what we expect, um, which was, mm-hmm. you know, away from everyone, I feel safe, um, mm-hmm. which I think is is so interesting and especially poignant, poignant as we get, my heart is broken, I'm lost, sad, and alone, but yet away from everyone, I feel safe, um, yeah. which I think kind of amplifies the risk or even the mm-hmm. danger the speaker feels just kind of going out and, and, and exposing yeah. themselves to other people. <laughs> uh, I, I think putting those together, the juxtaposition of those two statements there is, is doing a lot of, a lot of work here. Yeah. The emotions, like the emotional expectations almost are pop up in unexpected ways. And 
there are times when you you as like a reader of it, you're like, oh, I think I know where this is going, and then it completely shifts where it's going, and then you're following it for another couple of lines. You're like, okay, now I'm in the groove of it, and it shifts it again in another direction, and it's just like, it's really cool how it just keeps subverting expectations, but in a way that feels so true to what the story is saying at the mm-hmm. same time. Like it doesn't feel like a harsh shift that came out of nowhere. It feels like, oh, that totally makes sense. That's just not what I was expecting, and just like. Being able to have that talent to where you can make a shift mm-hmm. and it be unexpected, but also still feel natural to the world is just such a cool talent. Yeah, yeah, there there are all these really interesting uh, what what I think feel like or seem like contradictions, but as you said, kind of emotionally make sense. Or like I don't want to mm-hmm. pop out, but I feel closed in. Right? You'd say, well, mm-hmm. if you feel closed in, you might you might want to pop out, or you might yeah, want exactly. some extra space. Um, but then there's also the doubleness of pop out. We're thinking of like mm-hmm. popping out as, you know, exploding from a space, but then pop out as kind of like a more colloquial way of saying to go outside, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's there's this way that like language is, is working double time also in a, in a really cool and fun way for me. Yeah, and also, again, for people who don't have this pulled up in front of them, there's so many... maybe they're M dashes or N dashes or just like there's so many dashes kind of played with here and almost like a super fun like Emily Dickinson kind of way where they're just kind of like helping guide the breath or maybe guide the way things are moved along Mm -hmm. but the the dashes in here are kind of those places where things shift and it allows that shift and like a change and as someone who like doesn't see a lot of dashes in poems or at least in ones I read, like the way that this poet used them is done in such a cool way. Yeah. And I mean, even like we see the the collection of the three dashes and then the collection mm-hmm. of two at the end. I'm also thinking of just like a means to create distance that they can't mm. kind of get in real life. Um mm-hmm. in, in the way that like I feel safe space right away from everyone i feel safe space 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 (laughs) don't have to explain um this this kind of like typographical practice of creating the space that they otherwise can't get yeah i love that idea of just kind of like pushing the reader to have that break like you know like if i see three dashes i'm kind of like break break Mm -hmm. break and then I go to the next line versus like if I if those weren't there, I feel like I would just more instantaneously kind of move on to that next line. Mm-hmm. But something about sitting with each of those dashes just like gives a slightly longer break, but it's done in such a cool way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Taking control. Taking control yeah. of how we have to move through the space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I love I love seeing the way that the writers and the program find avenues of control especially being in a place where you know they might not have much control over their lives with the way that they play with lines and play with dashes in this case and show these like hey i'm showing you how to walk through this poem Mm -hmm. like kind of way is just such a cool and empowering thing absolutely yes if you wouldn't mind let's move on to your second poem here and if you could read i don't care if mary jane gets saved or not that'd be awesome yeah I don't care if Mary Jane gets saved or not. I can't lie. I try to imagine myself in Spider-Man's grip. My damsel in distress scream strung through the city like Christmas lights. I really did. But my black ass would never be in Spider-Man's grip. My damsel in distress don't look like Kirsten Dunst or Emma Stone. 
I looked. I really did. But my black ass would never be dainty enough to be rescued by a white hero. The movie villains don't look like Kirsten Dunst or Emma Stone. I looked. But the women who terrorize me in real life are dainty enough to be rescued by a white hero. The movie villains always come for the white heroine, and she will cry. But the women who terrorize me in real life are strategic, hammering out an axe with tears. The playbook goes, always come for the white heroine, and she will cry wolf, cry danger, call the police, the 911 call strategic hammering out an axe with tears. The playbook goes, there is an African-American woman threatening me. Cry wolf, cry danger, call the police. The 911 call a masterclass on acting. Mary Jane would kill me if it was in the script. There is an African-American woman threatening me. Cry until Spider-Man dropped from the sky. The way I play dead, a masterclass on acting. Mary Jane would kill me if it was in the script, because what else could I be but the villain until Spider-Man dropped from the sky? The way I play dead in the cocoon of Spider-Man's web, you can tell I've practiced, because what else could I be but the villain? I can't lie. I tried to imagine myself. Wow, thank you for reading that. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, so good. If you don't mind, could you just talk a minute about writing it? Because I know writing in this form is so difficult. <laughs> I love the pantoum, um, mm-hmm. the repeating lines, which, you know, proved to be a challenge. And I think it's you mm-hmm. know, one of the reasons why it's it's a, it's a hard form. Um, but I, I really kind of love the practice of making s- – kind of like stale language new like i love the challenge Mm, of of finding ways to do that um and i have all sorts of all sorts of like little exercises that i do for myself to kind of help me do this um Mm -hmm. but one of the one of the ways that i i think about the pantoum i think about like the possibility within pantoum is is through punctuation um Mm. and so i love I love kind of discovering what changing punctuation can do and how that can change the, the texture of the poem. Um, and so that was a practice that I was very invested in uh, in this poem, as, as you, you probably can see, uh, that yeah. the difference between the first lines, I can't lie, I try to imagine myself, and the second line, I can't lie, I try to imagine comma myself. Like, t- to this day, that is one of my best placed commas, and I will stand on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Just thinking about uh, the power of punctuation and I think how we often kind of underestimate how much work punctuation can do. Yeah. Totally. I definitely think this poem is a masterclass in punctuation. It's so fun seeing the different lines. And while they're so similar, they feel so different just by the slight change of an M dash to a comma or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me read the writing prompt inspired by this poem that we took into the classrooms. And I don't care if Mary Jane gets saved or not. Baez imagines what it would be like for her as a black woman to be in a comic book. Factoring in the history of America, she theorizes that even in a comic book, she wouldn't be the one that the superhero saves. She would still be seen as a perpetrator, someone that gets the cops called on them, even if they've done nothing wrong. 
Taking this poem in a slightly different direction, picture yourself as a comic book superhero. Which people are you saving that you know aren't typically getting saved in other comic books? What powers do you have that aid in the rescue? Have fun with this prompt and let your imagination show. Mm. Just a reminder, these prompts are online if you all want to read them later and get inspired by them for your own work. Could you read the first poem here? Inspired by it is the untitled poem. Yes. Um, Untitled number four. If I were a superhero, I'd be Jesus, continuing to save those that society doesn't approve of, the homeless, the addicts. I love that Jesus is kind of the first place that we go to, um, which... When thinking about superheroes, right, and even thinking about like my own poem and how the damsel in distress is often a white woman, which, yes, as women we are oppressed, but arguably a white woman has quite a bit of <laughs> quite a bit of privilege, right? Yeah, in this yeah. country, and so to also think about that positionality of being quite mm-hmm. privileged, but also always being in a position of, of being saved or being the savable, right. The damsel, um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of returning to this like biblical understanding of, of who kind of, who we should really be focusing on, um, or who is more, I think kind of like deserving of that attention from the superhero, I think is, is really refreshing. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I mean, as as someone, you know, I I grew up in Missouri, which is, you know, a religious state. And Mm -hmm. but then I lived in Oregon for eight years, but now I'm back in Texas, which is like ultra religious state, like just seeing people using Christianity in ways that are oppressive is just so disappointing. And just seeing something like this, this short five line poem that just completely like subverts all of that expectation and it's just like complete criticism just by having a single line that says if I were a superhero line break I'd be Jesus mm-hmm. you know just like and then going from there the next line continuing to save line break those that society doesn't mm-hmm. line break just like that is like so empowering for you know like a writer in Texas to look like at you know what they see Christianity as and just being like, hey, you're doing this wrong. Like, this is not who Jesus would be saving. There's just something so cool about that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that line break, that that society doesn't, right? Continue to say Mm -hmm. that society doesn't, which it's it's very true. I mean, all of the the biblical ways that they're trying to control women's bodies and and thinking of all these different ways that they're trying to control, you know, same-sex marriage, things of all this, like all of these types mm-hmm. of things. Um, and and this is just kind of like a very punchy reminder <laughs> yeah, um, yes. of, of like who Jesus actually was and, and what Jesus would kind of think of those practices, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just cool. Like, I mean, obviously the people in the program, you know, they're around addicts, they're around people who have experienced homelessness. And it's just kind of like, I'm looking out for my people. Like, these are my people, like, in here. Like, these are the people I'm interacting with. Like you said earlier, like, finding your chosen family. Like, these are the people I've found family with, and I see them as human beings, you know? Like, just something as small as that, that when you're othering someone, you don't see those, that humanness of them, which is 
so nice to see in this poem that they're like, hey, I'm saving my chosen family, these people who I'm kind of around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind reading the second poem here inspired by yours? It's titled, I'd Be the Superhero of Addiction. Yeah. I'd be the superhero of addiction. I'd have the power to hypnotize so the villains would forget why they were attacking in the first place. I'd swoop in and save the ones that wouldn't ever be saved, the homeless, the less fortunate. Yeah, so I like how this is <laughs> um, similar and, and different um, yeah. and kind of like who gets saved, but I, mm-hmm. I love the, the power to hypnotize so the villains would forget why they were attacking in the first <laughs> place, which I, is, is kind of funny like in the context of the poem, but mm-hmm. I think also speaks to... Um, kind of like what's necessary when it comes yeah. to to saving and like what it kind of takes <laughs> um, to undo the damage. Like it's not enough um, to just kind of like swoop in and and save the people that need to be saved. Or like in the superhero movies, if there's a you know if there's a villain or there's a giant that's stomping through the city and crushing everything. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to just save the people of the town. Like you have to kind of take out the problem at its root as well. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, you know, in a kind of funny and, and lighthearted way, um, the poem kind of comments on that of like, I first have to deal with the issue <laughs> and then I would swoop in and save those who, who need to be saved, which I think translates quite, quite beautifully when into like regular society and thinking about that. Yeah, totally. I, I, I totally agree. I think it's such a fun, like, twist but it also feels like so such a good social commentary about like the issue just kind of like you said like this isn't a situation where there's some like alien attacking and you know you just got to kill them and they go away it's not like some giant that you just got to kill and go away this is like systemic issues that Mm -hmm. just keep happening and happening and as you said taking it out from the root in this situation is just like I just got to make these people forget about, you know, everything they're trying to do. That feels like the only way to do it. It's just, like you said, just such a lighthearted, fun poem that, like, says a lot if you're looking at the subtext of it. Yeah, and I think it's also intentional about not using the same force, right? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of choosing something violent, which, you know, could work as well. And instead of choosing like more force to meet force, mm-hmm. um, they choose something different, which is just, I want to hypnotize them so they forget, which I think is also um, a really interesting choice. Yeah, I know. I think that's so fun. Just like, you know, in this situation or like in the history of what superheroes do, it's always fight, 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 fight. But yeah. here they're like, no, mm-hmm. I, I'm over the pain of the fighting. I'm here for the healing. That's my. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This this alternative um, vision for what mm. resistance looks like. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We have one poem left here. It's titled "If I Were a Hero." Would you want to read that for us, please? Yeah. If I were a hero. Who would I save? I think I'd save people like myself. People who have no hope. People who are in so much pain that the pain of a needle stabbing into their veins feels good 
because they know that the fluid in their noodle will save them from having to feel anything, even if it's only for a few hours. I'd also help people that get hurt by others just for being themselves. People like gay men and women, trans men and women, autistics. Pretty much anyone who have been hurt by so many words, they fear using the wrong words because they fear hurting someone the way they've been hurt. I'd give others strength. That'd be my superpower. To give them the strength they need to live one more day. Strength they need to move into a more positive part of their life. I love that this involves the superhero kind of like giving up something. Mm-hmm. Um, we think of superheroes, they often have super strength. Um, they're like mm-hmm. the strongest of the bunch. And in this yeah. case, it's like, I want to give that away. <laughs> to, yeah. I want to give that away to everyone else. And I, I love how... I think all of these poems, but this one kind of more explicitly um, make a move to kind of like redefine what the superhero actually does and, and looks yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then especially kind of thinking about the first, you know, half or almost two thirds of the poem is like a confessional a little bit about like their own lived experience mm-hmm. and just being like, you know, this is these are the people I want to save that are like me and kind of here, you know, are these people here is who I am or here is who I have been. Mm -hmm. And then even then when we get down, that kind of just for me makes it hit even harder when it gets to, I'd give other strength Mm -hmm. and it's just like, you know, the strength to come out and say like, Hey, these, this is who I am. And like, you know, I might've suffered with addiction or I might've suffered with these other things, but I still have strength to talk about it. And I still have strength to pass on to other people so they can fight it like I have fought it. Like that's just, you know, not something that, you know, people are comfortable talking about in the society for one, just because it's stigmatized so much. So the fact that they're able to do that and just be honest about it and, you know, wanting to share that strength with others is so cool. And the continued selflessness. Mm-hmm. It's like, as you said, the first part of the film poem is this kind of confessional um and the sharing of what they've gone through uh, but still it's i'd save people like myself not myself yeah. but i'd save people yeah. like myself i'd give others mm-hmm. strength so it's this continued selflessness and when i think of superheroes um i mean yes they do things for the greater good and they save people but i'm also thinking about like you know spider-man and and mary jane and how the saving of mary jane is also like a self-serving act as well because you're in love with this person you know yeah (laughs) so exactly there's an element right of the self that is that is being considered i think in in a lot of superhero and who's being saved and and that sort of thing um and there's just like a, a perpetual and a persistent selflessness throughout this poem that i think is is really really lovely yeah, selflessness is such a good way of describing it or describing what it's doing and just being able to say like, hey, I'm, I've am i been on the outskirts or maybe, you know, I still am on the outskirts and I realize I'm not the only one here. There are other people here and I'm witnessing them as themselves, you know, and like I'm willing to step up for them too and not just say, I would save my family. I would save my friends. It's, you know, I would save these people who are out here with me, mm-hmm. which is such a selfless act. And it's, yeah, so beautifully done. 
One other part that, you know, really stuck out to me here was the ending as well. So just kind of the last, leading up to the last lines is to give line break them the strength they need to live one more day, period, line break, strength they need to move into a more line break positive part of their life. So similar to that other poem, which just ended on the word glad, I feel like Mm -hmm. really ending on the word, the five words, positive part of their life is just like such like a uplifting way to end a poem, especially one that, you know, kind of talks about these aspects of their life when maybe they were at their darkest and things like that. But just ending with those five lines just really felt to me like, hey, we're not going to sit here. We're not going to dwell on this. Like, let's find way to move forward. Yeah, I think, and I think it's also it's positive while also being realistic. Right? Mm-hmm. I think you know there's mm-hmm. something very fantastical and um, fictional about you know superheroes in general and, and the ways that they're able to save people. I think there's also something about this that um, is is wanting to remind us that there is no kind of one simple quick fix. Like it's a journey, right? I want mm-hmm. to give you the strength to to live another day, to get to a better part of your life. And that's kind of, that's kind of all we can do, right? As humans, <laughs> especially in, in this time where everything is mm-hmm. very much on fire. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think we're all in our own ways, just aiming to live another day and to move into more positive parts in our lives as well. I think that that really resonates, I think to me, um, as this very like realistic but very optimistic way of, of kind of looking at where we are now is, you know, all we can do is live another day. All we can do is try to get to a better place. That's so beautifully put. Thank you so much. I think that's the perfect place to end. So, yeah, I want to thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and for allowing me to to read these and talk about these. This was really really wonderful and and healing (laughs) good yeah and yeah thank you so much again and i'm sure the people in the program were are going to be so excited to hear everything you had to say about their work so thank you oh and thank you to them for this work really it means a lot Again, I want to thank Taylor Baez for sitting down with me today. I also want to thank the incarcerated folks in our program that shared their work with us, as well as Humanities Texas and the Birdine Johnson Foundation for making this project possible. A special thank you to our sound engineer, Nathan Parnell, and graphics designer, Jules Tunnell. Until next time.